Today's podcast is supported by Open Campus, the new school's progressive approach to continuing education. Explore online and on-campus programs designed to satisfy every type of learner with courses in art and design with Parsons, management, media, writing, and more. Open Campus is more than a course. It's a new kind of network. Fall courses begin August 28th. Enroll today at opencampus.newschool.edu. Now entering Nerdist.com. The ATX Television Festival is always a wonderful experience, and Season 6, which was held June 8th through 11th this year, 2017, was no exception. As usual, Austin was the place to be for TV fans who got panels and programming of current series like The Americans, Bajillion Dollar Properties, and The Mick, reunions of Northern Exposure, Battlestar Galactica, the shows of Linda Bloodworth Thomason, and others, and panels on topics ranging from first gigs and big breaks to TV under Trump. I'm going to bring you recordings of a whole lot of these panels, and today's episode is one of them. ATX itself is putting up video of many of the events, and you can find those at atelevisionexperience.com. They'll also soon offer podcasts, both ones you'll find here and recordings exclusive to the ATX podcast feed at atelevisionexperience.com slash podcasts. Check that out in the coming months. In the meantime, first of all, go get tickets to Season 7 of ATX Television Festival. It's June 7th through 10th, 2018. And as usual, it'll be a special TV experience. And now, enjoy today's episode. big breaks. My name is Sarah Osborne, by the way, and I'm going to be moderating. So let's bring everybody out. So we had Julie Plex standing right here. So you're going to come first. <laughs> Creator of the originals. And then we have with her a writer who got her big break, Karina McKenzie. Mm. Next up, Graham Yost. <laughs> Justify, the American Sneaky Pete, and Dave Andron. Yeah. Who worked with Graham on Justified and Reigns and is here tonight for Snowfall. Testing, testing. Hello, everybody. Um, I just, I, I think it, this is so cool. I love hearing how people got their start. You know, there's no rhyme or reason, I would think, in how you get into the television business. Everybody has a different way and a different story. So let's just start with you, Dave, because we were chatting. It started on Reigns, not on Justified. That's, that is correct. So how did you, so you, you wanted to get into television. I'm assuming you were writing. How did you get this guy's attention? Uh, I hired a private detective. I found out where he lived. I got compromising photos taken, and I he blackmailed him. He just said his family was in the audience, into... like five minutes ago. Oh, Connie, Connie's seen the pictures. She knows. 
Jack has them, but we don't, we don't have to. Um, yeah, I, right. I had been writing. I had written in college. I had majored in creative writing, much to the chagrin of my folks, because uh, who majors in creative writing expects that to work out. Uh, and I got out, and I spent a couple years trying to write a book, and frankly, it was a little miserable. and was like, oh, I can't spend my life alone in a room. Moved to L.A. and started uh, looking at doing screenplays instead, just knowing it was a much more collaborative process. Uh, and wrote, wrote a movie. Just tried, you know, dead on credit cards and kind of didn't hedge and wrote a movie and gave it to anyone who would look at it. And it's one of those stories where it was like the guy, the guy who was my JV hockey coach in high school had gone like to school with a guy who had been a writer who knew somebody and whatever. And I, again, I just gave the pages to anyone who would look. And I guess... The, the bright side to wanting to write is that it's on the page, right? Like, if you have 60 or 120 really good pages, there, there genuinely are people looking for you. And so it got from a guy to a guy to Graham, who you had known him from New York, Brian? Yeah, Brian uh, was a friend in New York. Connie, Connie knows him. And he, uh, he knew your father. Right. From growing up outside of Philadelphia, right? Well, it was Clark. It was the J. It was literally JV. It was my hockey coach who had grown up with Brian. Oh, was that it? Yeah, it wasn't your dad. <laughs> no, I've but been it was telling oh, the story. But wrong. then it was my dad who was playing in a band with Clark. Oh, after there you he go. was my. Well, that's cool. It, this and this literally, I feel like, is every stupid Hollywood story. It's like, <laughs> how do you get your material to somebody who will read it? But then the big thing was Graham actually not only read it, which, by the way, it was a movie, which sucks. Because you're hoping for, like, 50 pages of a pilot, right? Oh, my God, 120 pages. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like a fucking night, which you don't appreciate until you're on the other side of it. And some guy who you grew up with, it's like, you've got to read this script. And it's like, oh, do I? Do I have to read this thing? It's a movie. I'm I'm glad to see you're, you're paying it forward. So that's nice. But then every time you have any moment of like, oh, I don't want to have, you, you immediately shut that down because you're like, no, Graham Yost read, sat down and took the time to read this thing. And then call, called me and was like, hey, man, I'm Graham Yost. Who, who are you? Like, what is this? This is really good. Did I actually say, hey, man, I'm Graham Yost. Who are you? <laughs> I hope I did. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what you said. Um, it felt kind of like that. It felt very kind of that. But it was like one of the best phone calls I've ever at the time, still felt like one of the best phone calls. And now looking back on it, it was absolutely the best phone call I've ever gotten. And he took the time and was kind of, frankly, like, look, I can't do a damn thing for you in the movie business. Like, you, you know, it's a tough business. This is really good. I have no idea if anybody will ever want to do it or make it or whatever. Um, but at that point, and I feel like this was kind of January-ish, 2006. Um, and uh, he was like, but in TV, if you have any interest, he had already had Boomtown. Uh, on the air at that point, and I guess you had just gotten Reigns probably greenlit. And he was kind of like, have you ever thought about TV? And I said, of course, and I honestly had not really thought about TV. <laughs> um, but he, you know, he was like, look, and we talked a little bit, he was like writing specs, and we talked a little bit about the shows that were on the air at the time and the things I liked, and I just put myself in a room and started banging out specs. And I, you wrote a shield and a graze? A shield uh, and a graze anatomy. Wow. And then you also wrote uh, yeah. an original. An original. And honestly, and I know people say this where they're like, I banged it out in a month. And you're like, bullshit. Um, but in the period of about four or five months, I banged out three scripts, three TV specs. Um, you had absolutely nothing else going on in your life. I had nothing else going on. You're right. I wasn't like, I was just piling up debt. Like, and I just put myself in a room and wrote and just kept sending this poor bastard 
scripts, which again, like <laughs> every month he gets yeah. another spec. I think by the end he was like, look, if you'll stop sending me stuff. Um, but it was right about the time. I think I sent the original right about the time that you got Reigns picked up. Um, and I had secured a manager by that time. And yeah, he gave me a job. And, and an agent. I also sent your stuff to CAA. To Sonia, right, yeah, yeah. right at the same wow. time that the manager I sent know. it to... I know, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I, I, no. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I can't really describe to you how much... Like, you like to kind of believe in your head that it would have happened. Eventually, somebody would have maybe given you a shot and taken the chance. But, like, for you to kind of have done that where I had never been in a writer's room, where I had never kind of worked in it, for him to kind of go out on a limb and give me that job again. As I get further away from it, I kind of understand how to, what a big deal that was. And uh, unfortunately, now I owe Graham Yost forever. <laughs> um, so sweet. Well, I want to talk about you writing the scripts, but I want to talk to you, Karina, because yes. did you have a, a hockey coach, too, that knew a guy that knew a guy? <laughs> Julie hired a private detective, yeah. and she blackmailed me. Um, I wish that my story was like I gave Julie 120 pages of brilliant writing and then she just like wanted to read everything. But like, I think she just liked my tweets. <laughs> um, I started off as a, I basically started off as a journalist. I was writing recaps of like uh, The Vampire Diaries, among other shows, but slowly evolved into an actual journalist who was doing actual interviews. And one Wait, morning, you call yourself a serious journalist. I was a very serious <laughs> journalist. I was literally a fan who somebody was paying to like write about my favorite shows. Um, there, I mean, that was their mistake. I can't. Uh, Julie, Julie and I connected on Twitter, and I think I literally sent you guys like a link to one of my reviews. And this was in 2009 when there were like seven people on Twitter, and so I sent something to her and Kevin, and I woke up the next morning to like. Uh, tweets from her and Kevin saying basically like we really liked this recap that you guys wrote uh, that you wrote and I was dying because I was a huge Dawson's Creek fan and they were like integral to Dawson's Creek and it was like I literally like still have those screenshots they're not framed on my wall but like someday (laughs) they will be Um, I love that (laughs) and we became friends Ultimately, like they they let me have a lot of access to the Vampire Diaries set as a journalist, and we would go out to dinners. And I think at some point, Julie was just kind of like, "You're, I think you're a storyteller, and I think you need to be telling stories." And I was like, "Yeah, here's this really terrible pilot that I wrote about a bunch of teenage fairies." I'm not kidding. <laughs> I literally have not gone back and looked at this pilot because I'm so mortified that I put it in Julie and Kevin's hands when it was like garbage, but. It exists. Um, I wrote it with my roommate, Tierney, and, and we had a lot of fun doing it, but it's very embarrassing. And then, like, I think, like, three years later, Julie, uh, the, the originals, the, the Vampire Diaries was, you know, kicking ass and taking names, and the originals became a thing that seemed like it was going to happen. And Julie sort of emailed me one day and was like, could you survive on a writer's assistant salary? And I was like, I don't know. And then we didn't talk about it for a long time. And then we went out to dinner and uh, Julie said, look, if you want to get into the TV writing business, you got to quit your journalist job because it's a conflict of interest. And it's, there was a whole lot of reasons, but really the real reason was that Julie was fucking testing me. (laughs) Um, And at that time, like I loved being a journalist. I really liked my job. 
I are journalists. I should do this. Um, I, I really liked my job. I really liked my coworkers. I felt like I had a lot of like autonomy over what I was writing. And it was weird for me to sort of imagine starting at, at square one again. Um, and even though I really loved my job and I was happy with where I was, I was still sort of living paycheck to paycheck. Like, I really wasn't making enough money to the point where I was like, oh, if I, not, if I don't work for six months, I'm going to be okay. But Julie was like, jump off the cliff. See if somebody catches you. Um, and so I did. I quit. I, I gave my notice at zap to it which is where I worked, which... Zap to it became Screener TV, which is now defunct, and we're all very sad. I'm, I'm genuinely very sad about it. But um, the, yeah, and I became writer's assistant on the originals. Uh, she never read another <laughs> Ten spec. months of her own personal hell. It having was. to sit quietly, saying nothing, just listening and typing. I didn't do that. <laughs> she did not. I got a it lot did not of... go well. There were, there were a lot of slaps on the wrist that were like, hey, stop interrupting the showrunner and saying that she's wrong about her own mythology. Um, <laughs> your entire job is sit in the corner and take notes. But I ended up, like, as difficult as that year was, it's really hard to sort of sit three feet from where you really, really, really want to be um, quietly. Uh, I didn't successfully do it, but enough of my ideas, I think, made it to the screen that ultimately Julie and our other executive producer, Mike Narducci, gave me the opportunity to write an episode of season one. And I hadn't, I didn't, I hadn't written a spec. I don't have a Grey's Anatomy like, thing tucked away. Why'd you have to pick the Grey's Anatomy one, man? <laughs> because that, that's the one I wish I'd written. Shield one. Like, that's the cool... Uh, bad- <laughs> I, I, don't, I, ju- I, I hadn't done that, but Julie gave me the opportunity to write an episode with her. So my first ever episode of TV, Julie and I wrote and um, worked out. And they promoted me the next season. So on the flip, Julie and Graham, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of people reach out to you and like, hey, I got this thing, right? So at what point do you say no? How many yeses do you say? And then what, do, what is it that stood out, let's say specifically about these two here, that you were like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for them and help them. I don't shut up. That's what stood out. <laughs> um, for me, my basic rule is friend of friend or relative. Um, so unless you are related to me or know him or are Canadian. Oh, okay. That's really broad. I actually can, and it depends, a general sort of, Approachability by being Canadian because I am Canadian by birth, but also if you went to my high school or you know or my uh, the college I went to, then I'll then I'll read. Okay, that, that's that's a lot of people. I feel yeah, like. but it's all great. You know, there's a gradation. You know, okay. if it's like a close friend of a good relative, I'll read a lot. If it's some <laughs> kid who went to the high school, I'll read the first five pages, and that's basically. And something, I guess, about Dave's script. Yeah, so Dave's script, it was called Eight Days of Winter, and it was about a guy coming back to his small town, and he was a hockey player, and it was just revisiting, and it was like a coming of age, everything's a coming of age story, but um, it, it just had that, that great small town feeling and these lives lived, and it was just good, smart writing. And, take, and then, uh, yes, I suggested he write some TV specs, and... And then we were staffing on Reigns. Interestingly enough, on Reigns, I wasn't going to be the showrunner. I'd created it, but I didn't want to be going, because Connie and I, Jack then, uh, lived, uh, well, we live up in Monterey. And so I didn't want to come down. I'd just done Boomtown. Anyway, 
as it happened, I ended up being the showrunner on it, but I, I'd sort of had the choice of the guy who was going to run it. Uh, he sort of picked most of the staff, but I got to put two on. And I picked Fred Golan, who I'd worked with on Boomtown, and I'm still working with today. He's on Sneaky, and we did six years at Justified together. And then the other thought slot I thought was, let's give this, this young guy um, some experience. And I have to tell the story, Dave. Um, <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> it came time to, he, he was up in rotation to write a script, and stuff started to change in the room. And the word has it that he actually said out loud, I don't know what script I'm writing anymore. And, we, you know, and everyone looked at him like, oh, no. you cute little newbie. <laughs> oh, that's so adorable. Oh, it is. You're a little precious in the beginning, and you think it's all kind of there, and then things start changing, and you don't realize. You're not taking the 30,000-foot view. You're down in the... Yeah, I got all, like, you're changing my episode, you're changing my, like, yeah, like, it was my episode, like, it ever belonged to me. I still do that. I think I did that yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But the, I, look, I think one of the things is you like helping writers coming along, mm-hmm. but the, the, the big thing, as a showrunner, anyway, is um, the, the greatest thing someone can do to repay you for giving them a job is writing well, so you don't have a lot of work to do. And part of it is laziness, but part of it is, and you know you're running a show now yourself, Dave, that, you know, you get a script in and you don't know how it's going to be. And when it's great, it's like, oh, not only is it great to see great writing, but there's just such a relief. I'm, I'm not going to have to get into the weeds on this one so much. Um, so in a way, so, he helped just, your job. I could just tell with Dave's writing that he was just a good, smart um, writer who, who really got it and we had similar approaches to story and, and you know so and by the way as soon as Justified came along um, and I knew Fred was going to be on it we talked and one of the first people we went to was Dave and another writer off of Reigns Taylor Elmore and another Wendy Calhoun and we could get Wendy um, but we couldn't get Taylor or Dave until the second season that's not completely true. <laughs> well, no, we no. I we, made a bad were, decision in taking another job because you weren't picked up, which I shouldn't have probably. Well, you were hoping you were hoping against hope that Knight Rider would come back. And <laughs> you knew I had so to. fucked up. Um, well, that was even that was another show after that, which will not be named. Um, but that was a really tough because that was a you know that was going, and he was like, I don't know, you should probably you should. I guess take the bird in the hand and thankfully that show died an ugly fiery death quickly uh, and I was able to jump on and, well you were and, able to he did two um, um, right. freelance for us in the first season the first of Justified season. and the, the first one he did an episode called Hatless really became one of the seminal episodes of the first season in many ways the entire series because it was Raylan helping out his ex-wife and, and her new husband and uh, it was just a, it was the classic sort of western Hero who has to do the right thing even though it's killing him. Um, so yeah, that was that was. So we knew when the second season was going that Dave would have a spot at the table. So Julie, you know how how often does it come about that you do take chances on people that write you on Twitter? <laughs> uh, um, you know, it's funny because I think. Uh, I'm game for that, you know? I mean, it's funny. The the hardest job in town to get is the writer's assistant job, and yet it never fails that when I need a writer's assistant, I'm like, ooh, like, who's around? I don't know anybody. Um, 
uh, my very first writer's assistant hire turned out to be the most successful hire of all time, and that's Damon Lindelof, um, who was uh, a a friend of of mine. (laughs) And he'd actually, and like, like humble brag, humble brag. I gave him his first job, humble brag, humble brag. But what it did was it set the tone for what I believe that position is and for what I believe people should be willing to do in order to like launch from it, you know? And Damon at the time was a, he had just been promoted. He was a, a, a development executive for a feature film company, for Alan Ladd Jr.'s company, and he was moving his way up the ladder, and he, we were all like young D-boys and D-girls together, you know? We were all like, you know, just fresh out of assistant land, being, running around Hollywood and, you know, and thinking we knew things. And, uh, and I, was, I was at a, it was my birthday party, and Wasteland had just gotten picked up, which was Kevin's show that I was producing. And I wasn't a writer yet, by the way. And I said, hey, does anybody want to be a writer's assistant? Because, of course, I didn't know anybody. And Damon's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, dude, you have a job. And he goes, yeah, no, but really, I want to be a writer. And I was like, okay, quit your job. Come be a writer's assistant. And it was that easy in wow. that moment. And and so part A of the moral of the story is like be go to your willing go to my birthday parties <laughs> no me no be willing to take um, a, a a balls out like dive in risk everything move in your life because like anybody can put you know fifty pages on on a on you know on a computer print out fifty pages of writing and say they're a writer but like in order to like be a writer you have to like risk everything to say this is what I'm going to do for a living we can all write as a hobby and it's beautiful and whether it's your journal or your novel or whatever and that hobby might turn into success down the road but if you're like you know look I'm ready to get started you got to get started so first version of the story is Damon then of course impresses the hell out of everybody and like it becomes a shining star I'd heard this sorry but yeah the story that he was the assistant and like the show had hit some kind of snag and then he just banged out a spec episode and was kind of is that right? I just heard that I was listening to that podcast I was like somebody said oh Damon and John August were talking about you in a podcast and I was like oh I'll I'll listen and I'm listening to the story I'm like I don't remember that part of the story (laughs) but what's funny is we did that that show was a terrible experience across the board and um, and I had to take a week off in the middle of it because I had hit rock bottom. And, like, I just burnt out hard because my job was very difficult. And I was so frustrated and so on the verge of just leaving the business entirely. So after, like, advocating... I, I do remember one moment with Damon where he was talking a lot in the room. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and our co-EP, who was, like, sort of, like, the day-to-day person, shut him down in front of the whole group. And I was pissed. I wasn't a writer, so I had this weird power. I was a producer, so I was lower than her, but I wasn't a writer, and I'd hired her, so I was higher than her. And I was like, he can say what he wants to say. I like what he has to say. And, like, just shut her down and, like, built him up in that moment. And then, <laughs> and then he, like, you know, blossomed into, like, the writer favorite. And then I took a personal week to, like, not have a nervous breakdown. And when I came back, Kevin had given him a script. So I think I missed... <laughs> That whole version of the story he told John August was just when he's like, we're in the shit, we're all going to get canceled, I'm going to write a spec and everyone's going to love it. Like, I think I missed that. <laughs> um, anyway, point is, is that Damon was willing to make a big change, take a pay cut, give up everything, and, and, and 
dive into something that was unfamiliar to him. And then with Karina, she's right. I was testing her because she had been writing such insightful and and vivid and very intelligent coverage of the Vampire Diaries. Like her recaps were not just like, and then Stefan looked hot in a T-shirt. You know, it was more like she but there really, was that was there was that there. too. Yeah, but she got the show and she felt it and she breathed it. And so over three years of of reading her coverage and then becoming Twitter buddies and then social buddies with her, I could tell she was a voice. You know, you just can tell with some people. And so I said, you can't use your journalism access to call every showrunner you know and say, can I please have a job? Because if they say no, they're going to be afraid that like suddenly zap to it's going to become a hate watcher of, you know, there's just so, there's something so gross about it. And I didn't want to feel like I was currying favor with press by like giving her opportunity. So I said, quit your job. The minute you quit your job, call every showrunner that you know because you've met a lot and just put your hat in the ring and be ready for that to fail. And she did. And I, I remember thinking as I'm telling her this, I'm like, if she doesn't take my advice, she's so screwed because I'm ready to hire her and she doesn't know that. I had a job for her that I wasn't going to give to her unless she Unless she quit. Uh-huh. <laughs> you wanted to see if she had the balls to do it. Yeah. That's awesome. So... Let's talk about you were writing a film, and then he tells you you need to write spec, a uh, spec script. Same with you. Like, do you what? You had been a writer, but what did you do? Did you like go out and get books? Did you just start watching the TV shows and and learning the the rhythm? Or like, if you went back and read those scripts, probably, are they pretty solid? Probably be pretty horrifying. Oh, they were good. Right. I'm sure they had moments where it was like, oh, that's a pretty good scene, and like that thing you could see. And well, what was great is I, I, w- I wasn't watching The Shield or Grey's, so to me they were great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and serialized shows, right? It's where you have to pick a moment, and I picked The Shield because I was actually actively watching it going back through the season. So I literally just picked up a moment in, this, I think, the fourth season where I had watched two, and I was like, well, I'll just write the next episode of that. Right. Buffy. Right. There yeah. you go. You just pick something you love. And then I wanted to do something that was obviously very different tonally. And frankly, my girlfriend at the time was, it was right when Grey's Anatomy had just started airing and everyone was obsessed with it. Uh, and I was like, will you watch it with me and like take me through it? So I, and she was like, oh, happy to. And so did that. So I was doing, it was a cop thing and a medical thing and something that was light and kind of fun and something that was dark. Um, and then kind of while shuffling between those, just wrote my own thing. But it was really just going online and reading scripts, just reading, reading. I had read the how-to screenplay books, but um, there's a lot of material out there on the internet, and if you get a hold of the really good stuff and just read it, you can learn an awful lot about the, the structure and how it should kind of feel. And It's a little bit of a privilege thing, and so when I, it, when I pitch it as advice, I actually feel, I feel um, divided about it because it's like, yes, quit your job and take a risk. Well, guess what? Like, we all can't do that. We all can't just like rack up credit card debt for a year. That being said, if you are in a position where you will not die, nor will anyone that is dependent on you die. Like, if you have a child you can still feed, or, you know, a parents that you can still care for, and you really want to be a writer, you could spend the next five years wanting to be a writer and get nowhere, or you could spend one to two years getting coffee for a writer, you know, get, like, getting your way into being in the temp pool at a, you know, at a studio and then working maybe if you're lucky one or two days a week and then maybe that turns into a job which then maybe turns into a PA job where you're getting freaking sweet greens every day for a group of <laughs> overpaid writers, you know, and like the Starbucks run. But my other... The, he's not here, but Neil Reynolds who spent five years on Vampire Diaries... 
was a 35-year-old man with a wife who his whole life had wanted to be a TV writer and had gone down another path, and he walked in for a PA interview. And we were like, what the fuck are you doing here, buddy? And he said, I want to be a writer, and this is the way to get in. And he was the best damn PA for one solid year. You would, he could have been 22. He was the best PA. He worked his ass off with Why? no Why? Ego. What did he do? You just, you know, it's like you, as a PA... <laughs> you don't screw up the Starbucks order, and you have a smile on your face. Lunch is a massive, and the, massive <laughs> thing. If you, if yeah. that lunch order is screwed up, boy, it's. We're in LA. Like everybody is like no gluten, no soy, not like everybody has some different random thing, and like just make sure nobody's allergic reactions go crazy, and like you're good. <laughs> so we do this thing where we have like it's it's not every show does this. We just do it. We have a lottery. It's not a lottery. It's competition. We call it the lottery. Where where we let um, all the PAs and assistants and writers' assistants write um, scenes in it, it, to compete for the ability to get half a script at the end of the year. And so then we blind test it and blind rank it, and whoever wins gets it. So Neil won that year, wrote a script, spent the next year, I think, also as a PA. Did we promote? I can't remember. But he went from PA to researcher to staff writer. Right. Point being, it's now four years later, and... I directed an episode a year ago that I was going to co-write with him, and he wrote the first draft, and I read it, and I burst into tears, and I said, it's yours now. It's not mine anymore. Like, I don't need to change a word. This is your script. And I then I proceeded to spend the next year calling every other writer I know to tell them how good this guy is. And every person I meet in the street, I'm like, you have to hire Neil. He's amazing. You know, and that's how it happens, you know? How much, a learning, how much of a learning curve is there? Like, you're taking a chance on someone new. You're taking a chance on someone new. You're new. Like, how much room is there, if any, to mess up those, those first couple weeks? There's room. I mean, I, I, obviously, like, I was very lucky because I learned how to write, in, how to write for TV in a writer's room. Um, a, there's a, sort of, a certain level of, like, this much you are you have or you learn in school or you develop over the few years and then there's a certain level of like stuff you can only learn when you're sitting in a writer's room which I think is sort of like structural and how to break story and how to deal with the politics of a writer's room but like the thing that I walked into that room with was a very good understanding of Julie's voice and an ability to mimic it like essentially as a staff writer you're a copycat and if you're good at writing the way that she wants things to be written and and thinking the way that she thinks then you're making her job easier essentially and so I think that's what I came into it with and learning how to break a story and how to structure something and how to uh, create a good act out and make sure that you know you're tracking character arcs I was really lucky to get to learn that on the fly in the room and not while I was trying to write a spec script um, because I had great teachers. You know, you sit in a writer's room, you're literally sitting in a room full of geniuses for eight hours a day. Alleged. Talking about, like, I, was, I think I was like, for, there was a point in the originals room where I was like, I'm looking around and I was like, I'm the only one who went to like a public state's college. Like, everyone's like an Ivy League ridiculous genius. University of Arizona, baby. And we're sitting... <laughs> see you, Boulder. See you, Boulder. Really proud of it. Um, but like, you're sitting around talking about like, can werewolves and vampires have sex? And if they can, like, how does that work out? And it's amazing. It's like, it's so much fun. And you're making believe with brilliant minds. That's the part that, like, you have to absorb and absorb and absorb. 
Are you surprised? Are there people that you do hire that just don't get it? And you're like, are you yeah. kidding me? Like, is it rare? Or is it, it, it most of the people you're pretty good at what you do and you know, and then they come in and they kill it? I got to <laughs> this was this past year was the first year of running a show for me. And this was really hard. Hired a writer's assistant who I had liked something she had done and made the deal and was like, look, and wanted to like lift her up, frankly. And, uh, and was like, listen, I'll, I'll happily, I'll give you half a script. I'll co-write it. And her agents came back and said, she wants a full script. We think she <laughs> deserves it. And I was kind of like, look, you're putting, I was like, okay, okay. But you're putting this person in a very difficult position of having to deliver this. And that's what they wanted. And so I, uh, you know, really engaged her. I brought someone else in the room to take over her so she didn't have to take notes and try to pitch at the same time. Uh, and she, I kind of watched her in the room and she didn't seem to be owning it the way I was hoping. And then we, you know, we broke it all out and she went off and wrote the outline and turned it in. Uh, and it was, it was a disaster. Like it really was like, oh my God. Uh, you had that moment of like panic where this is the first time I'm doing this and this is like the last thing and you have to make a call of like do you try to then prop them up and like push them along or are you just at a point where you're like look I'm sorry this isn't going to work and um, had to make the decision to pull the plug and was like look I'm sorry I just don't feel like you're ready for this and which is a whole thing you had to call the agents and the net and whatever and reassign and um, but that's a brutal moment of kind of taking that chance and then feeling like and then I felt like I screwed up for giving her that, you know, giving her the full script. I should have stuck to my guns and blah, blah, blah. But I, I'm amazed that, like, Graham taking a chance on somebody who hadn't been in a room and putting you in there and then letting me. I got to write an episode out of seven. I've, there were 11 people in that room, and I was at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't even know exactly how that happened. But to get the opportunity to have the faith that somebody's going to be able to come in and do it, it I don't know, man. Well, it's a I tough mean, call. Yeah, I know you managed to get your script on Reigns because you know the people behind you were. I mean, hacks like Moira Wally Beckett. What's going to happen to her? Honestly, <laughs> Moira Taylor. Like, no, amazing. Taylor got his done. But you know, you, you you do take that chance, and um, yeah, you can get bitten by it sometimes. I, it, there was another writer we took a chance on, a Justified, who was Ben Cavell, and he'd written a spec pilot and he'd written a couple novels beforehand. And uh, when Dave and I were um, shouting out University of Arizona and University of Toronto, um, I made another joke about Ben Cavell because there's that old line, how, how do you know if someone went to Harvard? They'll tell you. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but ben, ben started writing on, on, on Justified, and that was his first show, and it was first season because we didn't have Dave, we didn't have Taylor, still trying to find the show, scripts were coming in that just really weren't working and I was having to do a lot of work and there was a moment where I said out loud this is unsustainable to myself there was no one else in the room and it's kind of weird saying that out loud to yourself it's yeah. like are you on a TV show where you're speaking <laughs> anyway and I swear to God the next day I read Ben's outline for the episode he was going to write and I asked Fred um, is this as good as I think it is and he said yes and so we immediately put him on another script to do some rewriting and um, so you just, you, you don't know. Other people in that first season, great writers, just never quite got that voice. And we were all, you were trying to ape Julie, we were trying to ape Elmore Leonard, mimic him. And not everyone could do that. Um, so that was a very particular thing. And it's funny because I think that like the good news is talent rises to the top always. Like, <laughs> we were talking earlier when you asked the question about like oh you have to read so much and like must be such so much good stuff coming no it's all terrible <laughs> like when I'm going through staffing season and I'm reading 
but not anymore because I make other people do it for me because it's so awful. But like back in the day, hundreds of samples of people who have cut through the clutter to get good representation and they have good agents sending their stuff to me and I'm reading it being like, this is so bad. Like, how did this happen? And so for me, in the early stages of, of searching out for writers, it was like, if I like your script, it is such a goddamn miracle that you're hired, you know? And, and from that has come really great choices. But also, they don't necessarily always know how to get the voice either. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the problem. The bad news is you still have to mimic. And now in a place where there are so many TV shows, right? I mean, I right. imagine there was a time when there was 100 TV shows where it was probably the pick of, of scripts and material and writers was a, at a pretty high level, I guess. I don't, but now it's like with 400 shows, there are a lot of people who need jobs. And I think there are a lot of things maybe coming up the pike that wouldn't have at a certain time. So I want to open it up to questions, but if we just start with you, if you, what is your advice? If someone, what is your advice to someone who wants to write? Like um, your go-to advice? They come up to you and they're like, "What do I do?" I, I, if you want to write for TV, I mean, my, the number one piece of advice that I always give people is you got to find a way to get to LA because, and I know that that's it sounds very privileged. It's it's not easy to pack up your life and move, but I. Everything that I did, I did because I got in a room with people and um, attempted to be social and attempted to be a person that they want to have around. And you, I really don't think you can do it anywhere else. You could, there's a, a roundabout way to do it always. You can be a playwright in New York and then some, somebody reads your play. And then, but like to me, if you're like, I'm on a fast track and I want to be a TV writer. You've got to get to L.A. and you've got to get into rooms. And if that means being somebody's assistant, I mean, before I was a, a journalist, I was a production assistant, a personal assistant, an agent's assistant. Like, I was just doing, and I hate being an assistant, for the record. Like, I hated all of it. But I just wanted to meet people that would put me in the right rooms, and finally I did. And I think that that's, like you said, like, there's stacks and stacks and stacks of scripts that are never getting read, the only way to make sure yours gets read is to make sure somebody likes you. And I hate, like, I, it sucks that that's the situation, but I really think it is. You gotta get there. Yeah, I would, uh, just extrapolating on that and what I said earlier about being willing to take the risk, and again, knowing it's a, it's a big ask and, and not possible for everybody, but it does go to, let's say, over the course of 10 years, you carry a full-time job, you're raising a family, you're doing whatever it is you need to do, and in the small free time you have, you're writing. So do that for one year and write all that you can in one year. And then in year two and three of that 10-year plan, instead of writing, get a second job that is your LA fund. (laughs) And spend two years working to save money so that you can move to LA and start over and make, you know, $400 and $600 a week or whatever, right? And then get to LA and expect that you might not even get a job right away and expect that you might spend a whole year and at the end of it have blown through all that savings and have to go back home and that doesn't mean you can't come back and do it again. It's like actors who do pilot season. They come out again and again and again and again. And that's like the horrible worst case scenario that it never happens for you. But if you have talent and if you get in the room of, and I don't mean the writer's room, I mean the freaking line at the temp agency on 
Lancashire room, you know? Oof, that's a brutal, <laughs> that's brutal a rough one, yeah. <laughs> um, I got my if, first job in LA right as, a, as a personal assistant by meeting somebody at a concert. And they were like, hey, my client, like, I was just being chatty, and they were like, my client needs a personal assistant. And I didn't want to be a personal assistant. I didn't want to be anywhere near any actors ever. But they, that got me in the room, 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 that got me to Julie. Use every connection, use every connection to a connection. Social media, weirdly, if you develop a persona and a personality that people like on social media, like I have buddies on Twitter, I've never met them, I don't know who they are, but they, they're hilarious. If I was a comedy writer, I'd be like, you, get your ass out here, I need you, you know? That sounds a lot better than pounding out a bunch of scripts. <laughs> Just, you know, but also, always keep writing, always keep writing, always keep writing. Yeah. Always keep yeah, I mean, look, all that, yeah, I agree with all that, and I guess I would just add the, yeah, having good material. Um, I mean, one of the other guys, when I moved out there, who I called, who had been a writer on Dawson's Creek, actually, for a few years, and I feel like I shouldn't say, because it's about to go another direction. Uh, <laughs> don't know. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, I got in touch with him, and again, through he was a family friend, and he was kind of like... Hey man, how are you? Great. Like, look, if you're good, you'll be fine. Have a nice day. And that was basically it. And at the time, I was like, God. it turned out to be true. Weirdly. Well, like, completely true. But you know, I was I wasn't even looking for like me. I was just looking for like the send me something. But it never like that invitation never came. He like didn't really want any part of it. It was just like, look, if you're good, you won't need my help. You'll be fine. And at the time, it was it was fairly harsh. You were like, Okay. Um, but ultimately, it is it is kind of the deal because eventually, if you're there, you will meet somebody, you know somebody, and, and but having the material in hand to kind of be like, here's the deal, um, and also, grandiose. <laughs> I don't know what would have happened. Honestly, I, it might have taken a long time. Like I got a manager separately or whatever, but yeah, like somebody's got to take the shot that you can maybe get this done. And then once you're in the room. Be all the things that you, everybody kind of says you're supposed to be. Be humble. Be hardworking. Just say yes. Get in there and grind. Like check your ego at the door, uh, and just do whatever you have to do. And remember, it's not about you. You're trying to serve a bigger story, unless it's your show. Um, you know, in which case you're coming right out of the gate with your own show, which is a whole other set of issues. Well, and, and adding to that, b- before Graham closes it with the wisdom of all time, buy you some pressure. All this sounds so depressing, right? But within that, the Lancashire thing, I just, I I gutted myself with that. Um, Within that, there is still the fantasy that if you write a great piece of material, and by that I mean original material, um, if you write a pilot that is magnificent and you just happen to send it to the right program or the right contest or the right, there's so many of them, you know, the right anything and people like it, it will get read. Someone will call you. You will get an agent or a manager. They might get you a job. Like, it is actually, it can happen that way. It's, a, it's, it's the lottery version of it, but it's possible because good material always wins out above and beyond everything else. And by the way, original material now is the deal. Like, yeah, I don't, no specs. people don't write specs anymore. This was 10 years ago or whatever. But uh, so just original material, your own voice. It's a good tip. The wisdom of the ages. Yes. <laughs> and I spake. No, um, yeah, everything that they said. And, but it, it, there's two ways to become a good writer. One is you're just struck good. 
Um, I think Dave was probably a good writer right out of the box. Uh, ben Cavell was no. too. Relatively. Relatively. Um, there was a guy who worked with Joe Weisberg, and he ended up creating The Americans. But before that, he had written a novel or two. I got paired with him by, by an agent, and um, he had an idea, pitched it. It wasn't The Americans, it was, uh, but it was also about spies, because Joe had been in the, in the CIA. Yeah, Joe Weisberg. Joe Weisberg. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great show. I thought I was like Graham. You know? Well, it really, as you know, I, I mention it because it really makes me look good, and that's the only reason I mention it. No, but so Joe wrote this script. He sold the pitch to FX. It was called The Station. It was about a CIA station overseas. It was the first script he'd ever read, uh, written, and I read it, and I was of two minds. One is, um, oh my God, this is brilliant, and the other is, mother. How was he this good immediately? Yeah. I mean, it was just brilliant. And then the other thing about Joe and Dave and all, all the writers here, one hopes, is that uh, when he answered notes, and also Joe got to work for John Landgraf, who is the best. Guy gives great notes. He gives great notes. And John's notes would, Joe would take those notes, and the script just kept on getting better and better. And there's a whole... The whole run of the Americans, too, of, uh, of John's notes on that. But that's Joe's experience. My experience was being a really crappy writer for a long time, but I had some good things, some good scenes, some good ideas, and I kept on working and, um, and did all the things, submitted scripts, tried to get into film school, didn't get in, and I just never stopped. And I, it was just sort of... I don't know what it was. It was just blind perseverance. But there was enough good stuff that I got enough... Um, encouragement, but it was really practicing it. Um, you know, I wrote 11 scripts or more before I sold a, a feature, and and it just kept on, I kept on working at it, um, and became a better writer. Um, so, that can be part of the story, but ultimately, it's got to be good. Right. And I was only really joking about gradations of how much I'll read. You only really read the first 10 pages, and if they're not good, you'll look at the last five, and that's it. Okay. Um, anyway. That was great advice. Did you? Did you? Have I was just going to say. It occurred to me that the next part of that advice is like I wasn't a writer until ten years ago. I had a whole career not be and convinced I was everything but a writer for a full decade. I, I was development executive. I, you know, I started as an assistant. I was a producer. I thought I couldn't write, and therefore I thought my gift was being a sort of muse slash, you know, helper slash codependent life partner of other writers um, <laughs> and there is no reason if you want to go pursue a dream I went to ho- Hollywood but I just wanted to work in Hollywood like I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do I just wanted to be a part of it and I was going to do anything and everything I could to be a part of it it took me 10 years of ups and downs and successes and failures to actually get paid to write something um, and only to realize I'd kind of been writing all along, you know. So don't think, oh, I, ha- I want to be a writer. Because people give you advice. If you want to do this, you have to commit to it. And you have to be passionate about it. And that is very true in general. But that also means you should look in every door that can get you there. Which could be working on an agency desk for a couple years. Or like, you know, again, you know, working on, on a film set as a, as a as running career, whatever. Yeah. So there's lots of ways in. I love it. That's really good advice. All right. I want to open it up to questions because I'm sure you all have a lot. So I don't think we have a microphone, right? So I'm just going to point at people. Let's start right here. <laughs> I'll repeat the question so everybody can hear it. Um, if 
Can everybody hear that? Or do I need to repeat? So she was asking if you don't have any connections at all, how do you find that first PA job? It's a little bit like the lottery story <laughs> in that I could clinically tell you, okay, Warner Brothers has human resource. Every studio has a human resources department. Every agency has a sort of entry-level um, job market. Like, you just saturate everything you can at the base level of human resources or entry-level jobs in hopes that your resume might cut through the clutter. Unfortunately, the resumes that cut through the clutter first are the ones that I, I email. I'm like, hey, my cousin's sister-in-law's goddaughter just graduated from high school. Can you help her? Um, you might have a six degrees of separation that you're, you're not even thinking about. So dig deep on the six degrees. Um, that's one way. And then also, I'm not kidding about the temp agencies. Like, if you have any kind of resume that says, I know how to type and answer phones and I'm not a loser, and you go to Lankershim, and you, <laughs> Lankershim's this terrible street in Hollywood. That's the joke. Um, but like, there's, what is it? It's like right connections. I don't even know. This is like 25 years ago for me, but like, they exist. They're, they're entertainment business temp agencies and you sign up and just like a secretarial pool they'll call you and they'll be like you gotta go and counting at Disney today so you go and you sit at somebody's desk in accounting for eight hours and they don't talk to you they don't like you but every now and then maybe they like you and take you to lunch you know all of that for sure Um, another way that people I think don't really think about is the social media route and I, I make jokes about like Hey, I like was funny on Twitter when I was on Ambien, and like Julie thought it was cute. But like, <laughs> literally, we have a we have a um, I, I guess is she a secretary or she's one of the girls who works for us in Atlanta. Julie saw her videos that she made about the Vampire Diaries oh, when she yeah. was 16 years old yeah. and was making cute reacting videos in her car about the Vampire Diaries, and she's worked for us since the original started. Yeah. End of season one, she was a vlogger. She was 16 years old, vlogging about how much she loved the Salvatore brothers, and they were so adorable. So I just kind of befriended her on Twitter, and then she graduated high school, and she went to like a couple years of university, whatever it was, and she said, hey, I'm ready to enter the workforce. And so I called up the originals, and I said... I got an entry-level PA. She's brand new off the boat. I don't know if she's going to be any good, but she's been in the family, so to speak, for for five years now, so give her a shot. And now she, like, she's a production secretary now. She's going to be a coordinator soon. She's climbing. Yeah. You're really, like, out there looking. Well, I love it. You know, it's like, because it's like, I love what I do, and I love being able to say, hey, you seem really excited about this. Let me help you, you know? And because, it, especially because I love discovering people too, because it makes me feel good. And I know that they'll hire me one day when I'm washed up. Hey. So. <laughs> That's a classic, classic grandiose line. We all know it's not happening. The day I called Graham and said, Come work on my show, he'd be like, Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a, I gotta, I gotta go. We have another question. Who else? Yes. Thank you. Good. It's like I have a big enough phone. Anyway, so I was at the Toronto Film Festival talking to Nicole Clements when she was at FX about, uh, and Joe Weintraub came up. And what she said was this, and I'd like you to give the backside of this and see if you disagree or agree, because it sort of fits what I hope my narrative would be. And that is that she said there's such a shortage of shows, there's, so, there's such a shortage of writers, such a shortage of product, and that they want to find an author that has a driven voice that's so driven, he is the protection of that. And they find someone that can write that well, and they 
wrap everything around it, and that's what they saw in Joe. And they brought him in as showrunner right away, and they put someone with him, and then it worked so well, it kept going. Now, to me, I think success, everyone in success almost always has a different story. There's not a normal norm. But what is it? You're giving more information about that, and I'm curious about if you agree with her vision of what things are. She also said the agents are not understanding. They're bringing prepackaged stuff that's continually failing, and that's why they look for that voice to drive, and that's what they tend to do. Uh, that's yeah. The, Nicole is absolutely right, and that was certainly the case at FX. And Landgraf has already always said that he's very much he wants to run a writer-driven network, and particularly a showrunner-driven network. That he likes working with people that have a strong vision, that know what they want to do. Um, and uh, Joe fit that. He just had that world in his mind. He had the expertise, and he was just a great writer. Um, and that was one of the first questions with the Americans: is could he be the showrunner? And that was kind of my job going through the pilot with him was to, you know, see if he had it. And it was, he, he was just so prepared. He was just, Joe's a guy that, I mean, he could, he could be the, the Secretary of State. I mean, he's just, he's just a smart, smart guy, unlike other writers I've helped. And he, <laughs> wow, you're sitting right there. All, they were all thinking it. No, but he... Um, and it, so that was the question. But, but, you know, I got asked the same thing by, by FX about him. And I said, oh, yeah, no, he's ready to run a show. And uh, with Joe, it was he wasn't ready to run a show, but he was ready to run a show with someone else who had experience because he, he had the creative vision. I don't know if he, he didn't know exactly how to run a room and post-production and hire everyone. Joel Fields knew how to do that, and Joel is a great writer. So that was a marriage made in heaven. When, when I got the... Yeah. W- yes. No, I mean, but that's what you do. You, as a showrunner, you want to hire people who are way smarter and better than you. Um, but uh, when I got the, the shot of, to run Boomtown, um, NBC insisted that there be really strong number twos, and that was Brancato and Salky. Bert was still a... Well, he wasn't a writer, but he was teamed up with Chris Brancato. And so, you know, in case I crapped out, they were there to carry the show forward. Um, so that, that's really important. Another question, yes. And we have a mic, so she's going to pass it to you. All right, hi, guys. Uh, I'm Athena. And I have a question. When you actually get into an interview for, like, writer's PA or writer's assistant, how do you prepare for that interview? Do you want that grande vent? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I mean, part of it depends maybe on if it's a first year show, because if it's a show that's been on for a while, like you're pointing out, you kind of want somebody who just can, who loves the show and is passionate about being a part of it. And I loved that, like, I think that enthusiasm goes a long way and that kind of energy. And you need upbeat energy. The room is a long grind and you want people who can bring that and are you know, of, of good humor and, uh, and are excited about being there. I feel like that attitude is a massive, massive part of... Yeah, I want to believe, and I, I genuinely want to believe that you are willing to do anything with a positive attitude. We just hired this woman as, a, as a, an executive producer assistant who was recommended to me by a friend, and she has been working for former head of a movie studio and massively important and massively busy... Uh, uh, executive for years and was promoted into a development position and she came in and said I'd like to do this and and she said 
I know there's two jobs. I know there's a PA job, and I know there's the executive producer's assistant. I will do either. I will, if, if what you want from me right now is to be the person that sits here and takes the lunch order and gets the coffee and runs the copies, etc., I am in it because I want to work in television. This is my long game, but my short game is to do anything and everything I need to do. And I was impressed. I was in the room. I heard about it. I was like, dang. Like, I would have been like, I am not going to be a PA. I have been working for the president of Paramount for the last 10 years, you know? Um, but it's that. It's make them understand and believe that because this is your dream, which you expect to achieve years down the road, that you are going to be 150% committed today and for the next year. Um, not secretly being like, when's my turn? When's my shot? You know, just make them believe you. Another, yes, right here. Oh, she's coming with the mic. <laughs> um, just in terms of the actual writing, um, I've worked a little bit in development, and we were always told, um, like, how can you describe something new in terms of something that already exists? Because that's kind of what execs are going to want to know. Like, how, what else is this like? So I was curious when you're doing your actual writing, because you said that specs aren't really a thing anymore. So when you're doing your originals, um, is it better to like kind of lead with something that's similar to something else that's really popular or something that's like uniquely you? Oh, I mean, I think you got to push out. I think you want to do things that are surprising, things are out of the box, things that haven't people haven't seen. And even if it's stuff that feels a little familiar, doing it in a very specific, surprising way, I think is hugely important. I, I think that development speak a little bit is because they have to be able to succinctly describe something like to their boss or like how could we conceivably sell this as something. But like that's on that's on marketing and that's on them to kind of like push that up the flagpole. Like I, I just think you want something where it's. It's it's surprising in a way where it keeps them reading. I, I don't think you can worry about trying to do something. Yeah, you have to realize that what you're writing is your calling card. It's like you can't think of it, oh, I'm writing it as a thing to sell. Um, although that's always the nice like icing on the cake if that miracle happens. But you're showing who you are. I, there's I a mean, bomb on a bus. There's a bomb on a bus. And if you drop below 60, <laughs> that bus is going to blow 50. up. It's 50. It's not 60. You're fired. I'm, I'm, but I'm sure it was what, originally 60. You, know, you got the note where they were like, look, it has to be more like this thing. So there are really good vampire shows on the air and have been. The, sh- the spec I'd want to read is about fairies. I want to read about teenage fairies. I'll send it to you, and you'll regret this moment. (laughs) I don't want to read it now. No, um, no. But the thing is, it's like, okay, can you make that work? Well, you got a shot. You know, that's that's at least different. How can you find a different spin on that? Where you know, one's going to be swearing, and one's—I I don't know what the take would be that you did. A swearing fairy. A swearing fairy. But that that. How how can you how can you come up with something that that does feel fresh? And by the way, you'll you'll read something and, and it'll be um, it'll be sent to me and it'll go, oh, oh, wow, I want to read that and then I read it. I go, no, I didn't want to read that. Um, so you, you can't tell. I mean, it really comes down to it being good, but being something that you don't feel you've seen um, or haven't seen in a while. Um, I think is, is where you Yeah, like go. a guy comes back to a small town, homecoming, coming of age thing, but no, but nobody's ever done anything like that. Um, it had hockey in it. I'm Canadian. Of course I liked it. 
Do you know, I actually, like, I just thought of another piece of advice, and this could be really not good advice, but it just occurred to me, because I'm very codependent, and so, like, if someone says, will you please read my thing, I'm like, ah, yes, because I don't want to say no, because I don't want to be a jerk, so I tend to avoid situations where people ask me, because, <laughs> because I don't want to read, because I'm busy, and I've got too much i got to do to actually get my own job done. It's also kind of know? heartbreaking to think that you're going to have to give the harsh notes. That's, that's, Sorry. Yeah, that's the, honestly the, the yeah. thing. It's not about doing, it's like, oh, if this isn't good, how do I, like, yeah. But you know whose job it is to read things is the people who work for people like me, right? So, like, I have a young executive who I just promoted in the last year from an assistant. Her job is to filter everything that kind of comes my way and then to run it up the ladder if there's something that catches her eye, especially during staffing. Um, my job when I worked for Kevin Williamson, well, that's when I read 250 freaking scripts, was because I was like, well, shoot, I don't know who anybody is, so I'm going to read everybody. And then the best scripts I picked out, and like they're all still working these days, th- those writers I picked when I didn't know what I was doing. So so an extra tactic of research is like be like, okay, well, who works for Julie or who works for Josh and Stephanie or who works for whatever? And who's like, and send, say, I was just at ATX, saw this great, illuminating, inspiring panel. <laughs> Forever with changed. Aged wins them. Um, forever changed and uh, and Julie was giving great, great advice about what to do I was wondering if you'd be willing to read my material and then you get into all the legal stuff whatever I'm not going to give advice about that like ask somebody who knows about release forms but but you never know they might actually one day eventually take a look at it and if it is good they will write you back you know, and that's just the way you, you get enough of those marks. Maybe somebody's going to read it, and then even better, they're going to love it. And even better, they're going to call you, and even better, they're going to bring you in, and you, you're now working for us. We're going to wrap it up, um, but quickly, I just want to ask, I'm sure it's nerve-wracking the first day on your job for a TV show. Like, what's the worst thing somebody can do on their first day? To What is the worst thing you've heard of or just never do this on your first day on the job on a TV show. Talk over a showrunner and tell her she's got her mythology wrong because <laughs> the, in season two of The Vampire Diaries we said we couldn't do that. <laughs> that and chew gum for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. It's definitely got to do with probably talking to, try, trying to do too much. Don't mm-hmm. overcompensate, right? Like just allow it to kind of be and if you think you have something really great to contribute, do that. But don't try to dominate the room and prove that you deserve to be there. Just find the flow of it. Be cool, baby. <laughs> the, the story goes that a young writer had just started on the writing staff of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and an old writer told him, Johnny likes to think of the writers as family, so when you meet him, give him a hug. <laughs> and the guy was fired that day. Wow. That's the story. I don't believe it's true, but hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for being here. I know all of you are in panels this weekend. and um... Now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.